Welcome to Try, Try Again with Catherine Bellis, a podcast dedicated to relationships, the one with yourself and others. This seems to be a good week to talk about anger. Let's start with, there's nothing wrong with anger. Anger is an emotion we all experience, and very often, if not most often, it is combined with hurt. Some of us are more comfortable in anger because hurt feels a little too vulnerable and weak. If that describes you, consider why you might feel that way. What about acknowledging and experiencing hurt makes you feel weak? I sat with a man not too long ago whose third marriage was falling apart. He didn't speak with any of his children. He had very few friendships. He admitted that he had been angry most of his life and he knew it drove people from him. I asked if he would like to reduce his feelings of anger, learn how to express them in healthy ways, and reduce his yelling. He looked at me as if I had missed the entire point of our conversation. He said with an edge in his slightly raised voice, No, I want you to tell me how to communicate to everyone that I am right and it's okay to be angry. Asking how many times a day is normal for the average American to be angry is a little like asking how many drinks a day is okay. The answer depends on whom you ask. But the studies I found suggest most Americans are angry, irritated from about three times a day to a shocking, in my opinion, 15 times a day. When you look at your life, how often do you feel angry during the day? If you're not sure, keep a log, keep track for a week just to see. As I said, there's nothing wrong with anger in and of itself, but if you struggle in expressing that anger in unhealthy ways, if you struggle in controlling anger and self-soothing, then anger, perhaps more than any other emotion, can impair your relationships and your ability to have a satisfying meaningful, and joy-filled life. A 2013 study conducted by Michael Greenstein revealed that misleading people is easy when they're mad because being mad increases their vulnerability and susceptibility to misinformation. And the study found people were not only more susceptible to misinformation, but they were more likely to use that misinformation to guide their decision-making and their actions. As angry people got more false information, they became more confident. They also confused their heightened state of emotion for heightened cognitive abilities. And a corresponding Harvard study showed that once activated, anger can guide people's behavior while they remain angry, regardless of whether the decisions at hand are related to the source of their anger. This means that even though a woman is angry at her demanding boss, if she allows herself to stay in this emotion, she may very well come home and make mistakes in paying bills, yell at her husband, or chastise her children based solely on the anger she allowed herself to bring home. One of the Stoic philosophers, Lucius Seneca, about 2,000 years ago, wrote a treatise entitled On Anger, wherein he compared anger to a, a temporary kind of madness affecting our reason and sanity. He said, 
Anger's intensity is in no way regulated by its origin, for it rises to the greatest heights from the most trivial beginning. And the Black Eyed Peas, 2,000 years later, said the same thing from a line in their song, Where's the Love, when they sang, Madness is what you generate, and that's how anger works and operates. You can look all over the internet for anger management tips and tools, but here are a few steps I would encourage you to take in reducing the effects of anger on your body, brain, and relationships. Number one, meditate every morning and evening, even if it's only for five minutes. Think about your emotions of the day. Consider the situations that trigger your anger and how you'll deal with them when they inevitably arise. From someone cutting you off in traffic to your teenager talking back to you to your spouse saying something hurtful. A kind of silly example that I'll use is one morning my husband takes the last of the coffee creamer. I have to drink my coffee black, which I don't like. My emotional response might be disappointment, and it might even be triggered from the past, upset that I didn't get what I wanted and needed. That might have come from some subconscious place from my childhood. I might want to yell at him that he was very selfish to take the last of the creamer and didn't even think about me, particularly if I haven't had my cup of coffee yet. But the practice and the examining my own history and the recognition that those words would further damage the relationship in a way that goes well beyond coffee creamer allows me to keep myself calm, think rationally, and recognize this is not a problem. Pour the black coffee, give him a good morning kiss, and make a mental note to pick up a lot of creamer. Number two, seek environments and people who are calm and serene and help you to regulate yourself. When you're relaxed and around people encouraging relaxation and fun, you're less likely to be triggered and less likely to allow yourself to get so agitated. Moods can be contagious. Avoid angry, gossipy, negative people. Number three, set healthy boundaries around when you have discussions, especially around things that might cause you to feel hurt or upset or angry. Have those discussions when you are refreshed and have the bandwidth, the energy to do so. You're a lot less likely to become emotionally triggered and angry. Number four, many of you have heard this from me before, but one of the ways to curb your anger is when you feel elevated and you want to yell, take a moment, delay your response. Give yourself even a few moments to process what happened and consider the consequences of what you're about to say or do. And instead of yelling, whisper. For some reason, when people feel they have not been heard, they start yelling. But most of us, when we're being yelled at, we tend to shut down and listen even less. So if you really want to be heard, you need to whisper. When someone whispers, the listener has to really attend to hear what's being said, maybe even leaning in and turning toward. Whispering or at least lowering our voice, there's a better chance the other person will hear us. And we can use this to help ourselves stay calm and regulated. The poet Rumi, in one of my favorite quotes, said, Soften your words. It is the rain that brings the flowers, not the thunder. 
Number five, use humor at all times possible. Again, many of you have heard me say this before, trying to look at what might be humorous in the situation, particularly if possible, about yourself or your reactions or what you did. Nothing diffuses a situation more than either humor or kindness. Number six, find things that help you calm. Yoga, exercise, time with friends, writing, art, biking, reading, whatever it is. And if you can't come up with something, then start exploring. Try new things and see how they help you feel calmer. And number seven, use your faith. If you believe in God or a supreme being, imagine that being is watching how you behave when you're angry. Or imagine it's someone you admire that is watching you. I often tell teens that a great way to consider their behavior and if what they're doing is the right thing is to consider, would you do that if your mother or father was watching? As adults, we can ask ourselves the same. Would I do this if God were watching or someone I admire was watching? And who's to say with 100% certainty that they're not? Another way to consider how the ability to regulate our emotions can serve us is to look at positive examples. Back in May 2014, Captain Sullenberger, whose U.S. Airways plane with 155 people aboard, lost all its engines. When you listen to the final two and a half minutes of the flight recording, Captain Sully appears calm, methodical, and focused in the face of possible death. He relied on his training and his experience as well as working with his team. He had trained for moments like this. If he allowed his emotions to override his survival instincts and training and experience, very likely all 155 people would have perished. He is a hero. While it is likely neither you or I will find ourselves in that exact same position in life, we can use these examples, these hero examples in our daily lives and our choices of how we respond in our relationships. When we talk about self-regulation and calming, we tend to focus on what we're doing. We're slowing our heart rate and relaxing our muscles and reducing the surge of cortisol and adrenaline chemicals in our brain so that we can stay in rational and logical thought. I would like you to also consider what you are not doing when you are able to self-regulate. You are not losing control. You are not damaging your relationships. You are not role modeling ineffective and immature behavior to anyone who might be found to witness your loss of control. When we allow ourselves to lose control and let our stronger emotions lead the way, we are almost always creating more damage than the original event or argument. Once we do this, we lose our footing. We often lose sight of the initial event or circumstances or disagreement. I can't tell you how many times working with couples, they're very clear on the argument and how they felt, but they lose sight of why the argument began, often saying, I can't remember what it was about, but I know how it felt. Emotional maturity is about being able to feel something, fear, sadness, anger. And because we've done the emotional work and practice, we're able to recognize the trigger and evaluate the situation at hand. We are able to calm our emotions as we are in control of them. They do not control us. We are able to look beyond the perceived satisfaction of screaming and yelling something hurtful at someone versus the short-term and long-term damage allowing that emotional outburst will cost. The emotion you're feeling may come from a trigger and is a reaction. You may not be in charge of your immediate 
emotional reaction, but you are certainly in charge of your response. Emotional freedom does not mean we let every feeling escape in whatever way we want. From time to time, I hear people say, usually with a kind of pride, oh, I say what's on my mind, and if I feel a certain way, everyone knows it. I don't have a filter. At times when I hear this, I think it might just be hyperbole. The person wants me to know they're direct. But many times, particularly after hearing the history of their relationships, I realize that this is a very real and present problem in their ability to communicate and participate in relationships. I think most of us love hero stories like Captain Sullenberger. We celebrate those big, dramatic, important moments when someone was able to keep their cool But those hero stories are also important, teaching us how to do the same in our own day-to-day life. Educate yourself on your own history, what triggers you, and find those ways to keep yourself calm and rational. Knowing yourself and what regulates you as well as what triggers you is how you will improve not only communication, but the relationship with yourself and others. Have a week filled with meaning and love and peace.